Hey there! Welcome to the Canyons Are Calling podcast. I'm Cheryl's Jocelyn, your host for the show. First of all, I'd like to just say thank you so much for all of the positive feedback that I'm getting from this podcast. It really, really encourages me to get more content out there. So in May, I've got some exciting stories coming up from Kids in Canyons. Hopefully you guys are as entertained by the kids as I am. Um, before I get onto the episode right now, I want to just do a shout out to the logo winners, um, Julie Sherman and Will Nilsson. Um, thank you so much for all of the logos that I had submitted. There were so many that it was really hard for me to make a decision, but ultimately the three logos that I chose, I'm pretty happy with, and I'm going to start making some stickers and some beer glasses, maybe some hats and t-shirts. So if you're interested in any specific items, let me know. Otherwise, um, I'll get those out in the next couple of weeks and... I'm also going to be working on a website, so I will get that going. A shout out to Emily Canyon Gear and Tom Jones for supplying the um, prizes for the logo winners. There was a Canyon Fire rope and pickpockets. So if you don't know what a pickpocket is, it's this handy little pouch that you put on your chest that I carry my camera, some snacks, and usually the beta for the canyons in there so the map things like that just a handy little way to carry things when you're in a canyon I also put my whistle on my zipper of mine so it's accessible when I need a whistle <laughs> anyway enough about that <laughs> um, on to this episode of the podcast it's gonna be a little bit different than um, all the rest of my episodes this is an interview that Will Nelson did with me on the becoming human podcast And so he dives a little deep into just how I got to where I'm at now, how I got into canyoneering, and um, all those kind of things. So I really hope that you enjoy this episode. And then um, coming in May, we've got the Kids in Canyons um, series coming up. So looking forward to that. Enjoy your show. Hey there, folks. Welcome to episode 149 of the Becoming Human podcast. This episode features Cheryl's Rocks Jocelyn. She's the host of the Canyons Are Calling podcast. She's a canyoneer and she works at Imlay Canyon Gear. Her podcast focuses on canyoneers' adventures, beta, tips, tactics, gear, and even some misadventure. My favorite episode on the podcast is her recent one with Scott Sweeney, who's a Death Valley first descent legend. The man is prolific, and he's been doing adventure well into um, his age, and I think it's a beautiful thing. And I aspire to be like Cheryl's and Scott. You can find her podcast on all podcast platforms. Um... And you can find links to that in the show notes or uh, becominghumanpodcast.com. In this episode, Cheryl's teaches us about canyoneering and how it has influenced her life. Canyoneering is a fascinating sport. Um, Cheryl's is based out of the 
it's like southern utah and it's a i went there for the first time this year and it is a unique environment and it lends itself to like these dry canyons or mostly dry canyons the constraints of travel like going from point a to point b for instance um you get some very unique experiences and challenges by constraining yourself to these canyons and these canyons present a variety of obstacles to get um through and around and Cheryl's is just enamored with them and she, you can tell that she's really passionate about canyoneering so it was great to be able to talk to her. You can find links to videos of the canyons discussed on this episode in the show notes or on becominghumanpodcast.com. You can also find the links to the Canyons Are Calling podcast, Imlay Canyon Gear, and her Instagram for the podcast there as well. And I'm going to, um, at the end of the episode, I'm going to play you out uh, with a song by Aesop Rock and Homeboy Sandman called Ask Anyone. Thank you for the stories and the fuck you to the normies. Bourbon said we lost our Jordan. I would sprinkle in some Voorhees in a great breeze. I have this memory of me and you rapping me grinder to each other at a BBQ and BK. Got the same memory with a couple other people too. Trading doom lines, that's what people do. You were always kind of me in person. I tried to play cool, but I was always kind Growing up, I grew up in central Utah, and we um, would camp as a family quite often. We'd go on like big family, extended family camp trips, or just private little camp trips with my brothers and sisters. And so it was outdoors a lot as a kid. And then after high school... When you guys um, were kids uh, and you guys are going like camping trips and stuff like that, what was the theme of that? Did you guys do like adventurous things or was it usually hanging out around the campsite throughout the day? Uh, sometimes we would go fishing, and but mostly it was just like set up camp. We would go to super primitive campgrounds, camp spots. I mm-hmm. actually didn't camp in a campground until I was an adult and moved to South Dakota. Whoa. <laughs> Yeah, I think it was That's 22 wild. or 23. It was crazy. Um, and it was a KOA, and I was like, why do people do this? This sucks. <laughs> is that is that because of, uh, do you think that some of that has to do with being in Utah at the time, given how, like, remote and, um, yeah, remote it is? Yeah, and my dad was just, um, he and his friends just like to be outside and camping a lot. So oh, That's cool. And, like, he was into hunting. He never would take me hunting because I was a girl, I guess. But we did go fishing and then we got to go camping a lot. And then so when we were camping, um, the kids would just all go in and explore while parents were, you know, drinking beers and hanging out by the fire or whatever. <laughs> That's how it was like for me when I was growing up, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, but definitely exposed me to the outdoors and got a love for nature very early on. Mm-hmm. Um. And then right out of high school, I moved around a little bit. I lived in Seattle for a little while, and then Salt Lake, and then South Dakota. South Dakota? That what brought you out to South Dakota? Um, I fell in love with a guy, and oh. then 
when I feel out of love, I move back to Utah. You didn't like the, the landscape of South Dakota? <laughs> Unfortunately, so I was in Mitchell, South Dakota. And for those of you who don't know Mitchell, South Dakota, it's kind of an hour west of Sioux Falls. Mm-hmm. So it's in the flatlands. Oh, that's the what I all of South Dakota was. <laughs> um, you have the Badlands in like by Rapid City mm-hmm. and like Sturgis and um, those places. And that's kind of hilly and really pretty. Oh, okay. But I was like 350 miles away from that. Oh. <laughs> yeah. And it was really flat. And there were like tornadoes in the summertime. Oh, so really we, scary without all the fun. Like <laughs> my first snowstorm, we got 24 inches of storm snow overnight. Whoa, that is like, wild. Insane. I thought that I like growing up in southern Utah, I thought that I knew what snow and winter was about, but no. 24 <laughs> inches overnight. It was horrible. And then we get ice storms too. Whoa, what? One time we got two inches of ice. And then 10 inches of snow, and then like 70 to 90 mile hour winds. Oh my like, gosh. It blew trees down. It blew, it was insane. You can't even it's go tough. have fun in that. You're like shuttering your doors. Yeah, you can't go outside in the wintertime. Oh. We were without power for 10 days. Whoa. It was so <laughs> wow. Like, luckily at the time we were into real estate investing, we had a rental property that was vacant so mm-hmm. we could stay warm. But Oh, Anywho, I left South Dakota to come back to Southern Utah mm-hmm. because I knew another number one, St. George had no snow and Zion was close by. It, did Zion mean something to you at the time? Um, as a kid, we would go to Zion a lot. It's um, striking the there, like in terms yeah. of like adventurous things and um, you could even get some exposure just like, you know, a few minutes right off of the the road like i've never mm-hmm. seen i'm not really very well traveled yet um so i'm not used to seeing that like that kind of like grandeur or very because when you look at the whole landscape it like it really does you know make you stop for a moment and you don't even have to be a nerd about like landscape <laughs> like <laughs> right. really and then even when you like you could park you know and you go like especially on like the east side and there's like all that slick rock and stuff it's like you could, you know, find something that's a, just get your heart rate going a little bit. That's just nice. Yeah. The East side is my favorite. And like, I mean, oh, really? I've driven through hundreds of times and I still get blown away. Like it still wow. just makes me happy to drive through. <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome. Um, so yeah, I knew like as a kid, we went there, you know, quite a bit as a family. And, and so I just knew that the Red Rocks were cool and just something drew me to Zion. And so um, I was able to transfer with my job back to St. George and have a restart there. And that's where I met a friend who got me into climbing a little bit. Mm -hmm. And so um, climbing for me was kind of cool, but I have arthritis in my hands. Mm -hmm. And so it was kind of painful and you just go up like 30 feet and then do it again and do it again. And it's like the same view all day and it's painful and whatever. And so he had an opportunity to go through a canyon in Zion called Spry Canyon. Mm -hmm. And he invited me along and it blew my mind. Like the things that we saw after each turn of the canyon or after each rappel, I want to say there's like 10 rappels in Spry. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and the challenges that we faced. We did some down climbing that I had never done before, like some stemming where you're like, hands are on one side of the wall and your feet are on the other side of the wall. And you're just like um, going across the canyon for a little bit and, you know, things I had never seen or experienced. And it just blew my mind. Was um, client was when you got into climbing and then getting to canyoneering? Were these like your first uh, first kind of like recreations or, or hobbies that you're picking up? You know, if- um, I had done some hiking and some um, backpacking. Okay. You know, as a well, also in South Dakota, um, we did motocross. Oh yeah. That, <laughs> <laughs> that would be fun when it's that was flat. like the only thing to do. When, yeah. when you go real fast. <laughs> yeah. So, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, hiking and yeah. and then a little backpacking. Um, but then yeah. Did it light? Did like the hiking and the backpacking light you up like canyoneering did? No. No. <laughs> no. I mean, it does a little bit. I do. Mm-hmm. You know, it, I do thrive when I'm outside, but yeah. canyoneering, there's something about just going into those arteries in the earth where it takes the ropes to get there. And, you know, you have to overcome your fear in order to get to these places. And every time you walk up to a rappel, you get that, mm-hmm. you know, um, anxious feeling in your stomach <laughs> and and go through that all over again. And it's just experiencing these amazing places is addicting yeah for sure it really is and like when you when you were going through your first time did you if you could remember what was it like for the kinds of repels was that at the time something that you would have been really excited about or did it create a lot of like anxiety and intimidation I was really excited about it. They created a monster when they got me in there. It was for me. It was way more fun to repel and go down things than it was to climb. Oh, really? So I really, I've only been climbing maybe a handful of times in ten years since I started canyoneering. Wow! I gave my ropes to my daughter. I gave my shoes <laughs> to her. Like I was like, I don't need them. Like yeah. you'll use them. Enjoy. Um, but I'm That's into canyoneering. Yeah. That's so cool. And that was like, was that one of the, is that a, have you had something like that before? Like anything in your life that you like felt that like click for you like that? You just like really enjoyed it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, awesome. um, other than like heroin and cocaine, probably not. <laughs> and so after giving those up in 1999, 90, 80, 98. Oh, I really? Yeah, I overdosed on October 2nd, 98. Oh, no way. What? Could you tell me and about so that? After that, <laughs> <laughs> this is my addiction. This That's is my wild. Addiction. Yeah, see, I, I've had, so like just from my background, um, I grew up with, you know, I used variety of drugs in my youth and like, and I would, and I'd overdose and, um, I overdosed once and got you know, alcohol poisoning and stuff. And that was like, for me, it was the experience. If anyone were to go climbing and you were to see the hardest route at the crag and then, you know, they're like, Oh, that looks really hard. And then someone in the group were like, I can go up there. I bet. And like, yeah, oh yeah. And then whatever you can imagine is going on in that person's mind. That's why I overdosed. And like, I didn't, cause I didn't, re- it was like my, I was trying to prove myself to these like 20 something year olds when I was 11. And, oh, wow. and it was, yeah, they were like, 
but they weren't ushering me on or anything. They looked at me like, you look at me. And they're like, what? And that was not a good idea. And I'm like, wow. But I found as I got out the other side of that and I was like, well, this is kind of odd. You get to like, you have a lot of fun. And then the next day, really thinking about like alcohol, but like the next day, you know, you're hungover and you don't feel good. I don't want to do that. Like I want to figure out something a little more sustainable and more exciting, you know? Right. And and so I like spent all this time searching for that and really understanding like to me what like um, uh, habitual uses, addiction and, and, and how I like develop vices and, you know, um, and whether or not, even if I get rid of drugs, how other vices would crop up and how I had to learn to like develop a relationship with myself and my impulses. Um, mm-hmm. But then I like, I have my family members, my brother and my sister, I mean, they're doing a lot better now, but they're in their like almost, you know, thirties or almost thirties. And um, they've struggled with drug addiction throughout their lives, you know, and I've never, I overdosed, but I wasn't like, I wasn't obsessed with, with using anything. Like when I was a kid, I'd use, the only thing it was is I'd use a lot of pot and I'd smoke a lot of cigarettes and drink a lot of coffee. Cause like logically <laughs> I could be like, Hey, I could use all these things. These aren't going to kill me, you know, in the moment, but like these will feel good, you know? So what I was like is like, I don't, I don't know if, you know, my wiring's a little different than my siblings. Cause I'd have a lot of grief over that. Cause it didn't mm-hmm. take a lot to like not get addicted to the hard stuff, but like, develop bad habits with the the moderate stuff um was that i just had a lot easier time doing a cost benefit analysis because what i look at is when i go into climbing is that you have risk reward all the time and when you go into canyoneering and running as well and i'm always doing a risk reward analysis to like is the thing that i want worth the effort and the consequences that could happen from going into the experience and like, because I got into these experiences, especially one that like risks your life, you know, canyoneering similar too, to where you have to do things yeah. to keep yourself safe in these unsafe environments. Um, it caused me a lot of thinking about that because sometimes you realize that you might act without the, your best interest in mind without you even knowing it. You might be doing dumb things that and you're committing to a danger that you don't really understand and putting yourself and everyone else at risk and like where at in life do you get the opportunity to examine all of these characteristics about yourself other than doing something crazy as hell like you know climbing or canyoneering something that doesn't mean anything but is like super intense and right (laughs) so like um, definitely a better way to risk your life (laughs) yeah exactly and that's where i was like i would even look at it in terms of like you know these things that i like to do is even when I was all hoity-toity and I'm like, you know, look at what I'm doing. And then my ego got all big. I was like, wait, no, there is some like addictive <laughs> things that I do here. <laughs> and it like feels really like I've completely blown off like a year or two of like work just so I can go and like toil away in a climbing gym and chasing all my, my things. And, you know, and a lot of that's just like a kid at play. And I realized the shortcomings of some of those things and it's caused me to relate with my siblings a lot better. Um, yeah. But yeah, sorry. It was a little rambly. <laughs> no, it's all good. <laughs> so, did you- yeah, I mean, we all get to our own bottom, right? And mm-hmm. so it takes whatever it takes. Like for me, my daughter was um, 10 months old. I 
almost died. Her dad was on her way to prison. And what was she going to do if one of us wasn't around, right? Mm -hmm. And so lucky for me, I went to a pretty good rehab. Um, one of my experiences at rehab when we were talking about rock climbing, um, we got to go to a rock climbing gym. It was my first experience ever rock climbing. And we went to a rock climbing gym, indoor gym in Provo. And um, so they just gave us our harnesses and hooked us up. And they were like, okay, there's the wall. Go for it. Right. Yeah. And they're watching us and they're, and uh, you know, analyzing us. And I look at this wall and there's this one wall that like goes up a little bit and then it goes like hangs upside you know like vertical oh, like, like a roof yeah diagonal, oh. right diagonal and i'm like i'm going for that one that looks badass yeah so you know i start climbing it and of course they can't do it i've never fucking climbed anything <laughs> and so you know and then i like try a couple of the routes and other routes and i finally get one that i can do and whatever and so then they get back to the rehab and they analyze the whole day right mm-hmm. And they're like, your personality is you just like, go for it. You know, like oh, wow. hardcore hundred percent. Like some people are more intimidated and they start at beginner level, but no, I just jump all in. And that's how I feel like it was with canyoneering. You know, like mm-hmm. I did this, you know, it was a mid-level canyon in Zion, not a super beginner canyon, but it was a full day and got into just some really badass stuff and um, I got in with a really good crew that taught me some really good things right away from the beginning. That community is so important, right? It definitely is. And the skills that you learn. Um, but yeah, I mean, just overcoming like one addiction and it had been, you know, many years later, but just diving a hundred percent into something else is what you got to do just to live your life and be happy. Yeah, that's what I wondered was like, you know, with the things that I even saw with my my sister, she'd always talk about like, you know, when she went to prison because she she beat up this like uh, or she pretend to to want to be a prostitute and to like have. Yeah. And to hook up with these pimps or whatever. And they're selling meth. And then they came over and she was really just lying to them and she beat them up. And then she stole all their meth and then she stole their money. And then she called the police on them because she was a rival meth dealer. Um, And I'm just like, Oh my God. And all I could think is, is like, this shit is, this is, this is fucking crazy. And then like getting to know her, she's like gone through all these recovery things. She's like, like if you get into a a breakup, right. You'd be like, who is she? I'm going to kick her ass. And I'm just like, Oh my God. Like, we just like, all these like trauma, all this thing, we just need to unpack all these, but then I like reframe Mm -hmm. it. And you know, if you're an entrepreneur, if you're a rock, there's a way to like, these things kind of have a way of softening you up a little bit. At least that's my Mm -hmm. hope. And I always think like, you know, the characteristics that you are, they might be misplaced, but it seems like these outdoor or really recreation, you know, art and running and climbing and um, canyoneering have a way of like mapping those things onto different stuff. Because, like, yeah. I get really euphoric, obviously, from running, but from, like, climbing, I get a different sense of, euph- I guess, euphoria um, and things like, like, it feels very, very visceral and in my body and intense, like, like drugs in a lot of ways, but different kinds of sensations. It's a definitely, it's a way better high, a way more healthy high, for yeah. sure. And, I mean, you definitely can get that euphoric feeling. Yeah. I agree. 
And like the, the equation's nice too, because the more you do it, then the more people want to spend time with you, like more mm-hmm. people want to spend time with you. You get good at it. People look up to you for information. You exchange like it, it has all this mm-hmm. stuff encoded inside of it just by the nature of it, you know? Yep. yep. So I find a little bit more of my soul every time I'm out there. It's <laughs> awesome. So when you first started Canyon, so your first time out canyoneering like that, you just dove headfirst into it and you're completely in love. Mm-hmm. Uh, what happened after that first canyoneer or that first canyoneering trip? Did you just take off and start doing a bunch of other ones? Yeah, I started just researching what other canyons were around and what else we could do in the area and started planning trips with my friends. And that we had this um, core group of, I'm going to say like five guys that I went with at first. And then it kind of grew to maybe like 10. We had this Z crew, we called it. Um, but we would just do all these canyons in the Zion area. And I remember my first time... Um, we were like, we want to do a canyon that we don't need permits for. And at that time, you didn't need permits for Inglestead. And so it was like between Birch Hollow and Inglestead. And I don't know if you know these canyons in the Zion area, but um, the difference basically is Birch Hollow has 120 foot rappel is the longest rappel. And there's, I think, 10 to 12 rappels in that one. And then Order or Inglestead has a 300 foot rappel just Ooh. to get into the canyon. What? And then after that, all of the rappels are like 120 feet. Wow. And so, me always going, you know, full force <laughs> <falls> <laughs> to the wall, I choose the 300 foot rappel, you wow. know, let's do Inglestead. And so, my first, longest rappel before that was 180 feet. And so I get up to that 300 foot drop and it looks intense. It, wow. I'm just like, oh my God, like who chose this, right? What, when you're in that, when you're on that edge, what, what kind of feelings do you, do you feel? Um, I mean, there's so many butterflies in your stomach and you're just so nervous. Wow. Um, <laughs> and, but also, I mean, when you get on rope, it's like there's so much force below you on 300 feet that you almost have to like, it's like a fireman belay is like pulling down on you. Whoa. And you kind of have to push the rope through your belay device, mm-hmm. your rappel device. Yeah, feed it through. Like, I kind of assumed like I'm going to hook up and just free fall down uh-huh. and just be done, you know, and just like haul ass down this. But that wasn't really the case. And so you kind of had to feed it through for the first, like, maybe 80 feet. Mm-hmm. But then you start going, like, pretty smoothly. But then you, when you get toward the bottom of that 300 feet, you're going really fast. Whoa. And so luckily they, um, like, I had, not luckily, my crew is smart mm-hmm. and had done their research and knew what they were getting into. And so um, I had a friend down below me that um, was able to slow me down and I was able to, if I needed to, and then I could also add friction to my repel device as I was going down. So it was able to slow me down it, and having one of those types of repel devices on a repel that long is very, very important so that you don't lose control of your repel and your hands get too hot and you go too fast. Especially because it's an interesting thing. The longer you're on it to a point, mm-hmm. then it starts getting faster and mm-hmm. it becomes more important to have more control. 
Yeah, for sure. If you could give like a paint a picture for people who not experienced something like that, you're basically hanging by a rope. You feel a hundred percent committed, right? Mm -hmm. And if whatever, like the butterflies that you have in your stomach, um, or any kind of feeling that you have, the only way that you can cope with that is by using the skills and tactics that you've learned, right? To mm -hmm. add friction or whatever it is. And then you have to rely on your partner below doing the thing that, you know, cause they helped you, um, to, to be actually really be helpful. And this is maybe one of the times in your life where like at work, it's nice when someone's helpful, but here, <laughs> No, in canyoneering, your team is definitely essential. Your life can depend on them at certain times in the canyon. And if you don't have a solid crew that knows what they're doing at all times, like it can be detrimental. I mean, there are beginner canyons where it may or may not matter. And then there's more intermediate canyons where you definitely have to have a solid crew. How does that affect your relationship to those people and people in general? Like you can do a canyon in one day with a complete stranger. And when you leave the day, you have a best friend. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it could, it just totally changes. You totally bond. You put your life in the hands of someone that you don't know. And just the experience that you had that day, plus as you're hiking, you're just chatting and learning about them. And um, you just get, I don't know, it's not really like vulnerable, but you just open up, you know, mm -hmm. and by the end of the day, you've got a really strong bond. It's pretty cool. Have you ever had that prior to like getting into canyoneering and stuff like those kinds of ways to build those relationships? Um, motocross was a little that way, but there was a lot of male ego in that. <laughs> yeah. Um, in canyoneering, even the, I mean, I do canyoneer with a lot of guys and there is still a lot of male ego, but I do canyoneer with a lot of women too. And I mean, there's not so much, um, I guess redneckishness. Mm -hmm. um, everyone just kind of comes together and this love of the outdoors. And it's, yeah, it's different. It's mm -hmm. good. I love the canyoneering community. It's cool. <laughs> yeah. And with, um, is there, is there an opportunity for, how would I say that, boldness or like bravado in a canyoneering experience? Because what I'm thinking is, is what you said about the male ego. Um, is that sometimes you have in a climbing scenario, right, where like you have a rope gun or you have routes that are like, you know, bold where a fall could be like likely to injure you or worse mm -hmm. or a variety of things like that. And you can see how it plays out in the group dynamics. Is there an opportunity to do like, like you, because no one leads anything or like takes protection forward in a canyon experience. And if if you're going to commit to something, the whole group has to commit to it, right? To be able to exit the canyon. Right. And so, so how does that, like that ego stuff play out in the canyoneering kind of experience? Um, or what does it look like to be bold in a canyoneering experience? I think then you're doing more kind of intermediate stuff or you're like exploring and actually out doing more um, first ascent kind of things. Mm -hmm. Or doing things in like more harsh conditions, like um, sometimes here when the snow is melting, you do get like class C canyons where you normally just have a class B canyon, mm -hmm. which is like um, water would be flowing where normally you don't have water flowing, um, things like that. And so I think more bold people would 
maybe take those kind of extremes. Mm-hmm. Is that what you're asking? Yeah, that is kind of what I'm asking. Yeah. It's- and then there's also some canyons that are like RNX rated, mm-hmm. which means that there's um, certain risk factors in those. And that's usually written in the beta or the information that you can find out about the canyons. And so, you know, going in that there's like this exponential risk. With the, those kinds of canyons that have that are rated for their like their risk factor, is it like, do you find in canyoneering with people that you've met uh, or even just yourself that the natural progression is to assume or to play a little bit more with that risk factor? Um, or are those just like a type of challenging canyon that some, you know, someone who likes to be play with boldness or whatever would seek out. Cause in climbing, right. You could do like a five twelve, and it could be a five twelve That's really safe. Um, or you can go and do like a five twelve and the protection that's really run out and all that other stuff. And that calls like a different kind of, um, yeah, personality type maybe, or mm-hmm. whatever. I do think it takes a different personality type to do the RNX canyons. Um, I also think that as a general progression, as a human, like you start at the easy stuff and you want to see what the, you know, the harder stuff is, you want to push yourself. So you want to get exploring potholes and you want to get those different challenges Um, and getting into like natural anchor setting and using sand trap anchors where you're using just like a bag of sand or like a fiddle stick where it's just like a pull on the rope that you pull out and, you know, just challenging yourself in those kind of ways. Like um, Scott's, I think naturally like is a rock pile anchors. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <That's cool. laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> well, Scott's different because I mean, dead man anchors, the rock pile anchors are normal, mm-hmm. but he's fiddle sticking off of those, which is different and new and exciting. <laughs> I kind of like that. What's exciting about it? Um, you don't have to leave trash in the canyon. Mm-hmm. A lot of times you get um, anchors where somebody doesn't like the webbing on that anchor, so they'll add their own webbing to it, and then that next person doesn't feel comfortable with that. So instead of taking those two off, they add their other one, and you get like a rainbow of webbing and clutters up the canyon. And you get um, a lot of times rope grooves happen when there's bolts in canyons, and so you go and it'll start looking like a comb kind of because there's all these grooves in the rock especially here in the um soft desert sandstone i don't think it happens so much in like um california washington and colorado things seem to get more polished than they do get grooved i think yeah um and i i've seen that like the whole rainbow of tat here in the alpine um but i imagine it's a lot different in that kind of environment too because things don't things don't hide very well there in the Mm -hmm. sense that everything's all bushy and scrubby and you're like, Whoa, there's some tat that's been under the tree or whatever. But there it's like, everything's out and exposed and like, it's so clean there in terms of like the smoothness of the rock and all the, like a, uh, a log would be out of place in a highlight. Whereas here, a log would be the noise. So that creates a challenge in and of itself then if you don't, if you're using like these natural natural anchors and stuff like that, because that's like a, because um, when you have like tat, or at least like in a climbing scenario, when you have chains, right? Everything's just there. It's just like plug and play in a lot mm-hmm. of ways. But from my understanding, or not my understanding, I have very little understanding about like the dead men anchors. Thank you. Um but I heard something about like rock farming and then I went on a whole rabbit hole, like people collecting rocks as they go. 
to be able to create deadman anchors in places that won't have rocks and i was like so is that really a thing where you like rock farm and you try to yeah so i was in a canyon in capitol reef actually mm -hmm. um and it was so i did this canyon called arch nemesis and i was one of the first like 50 people that got to do it because they knew a ranger that had found it so now it's pretty popular and a lot of people do it but back then it hadn't been done for a while and so we got to one of the middle rappels i want to say number three or four um and so after you pull your rope in a canyon you're committed you can't turn around and go back out you have to keep going down sometimes there will be an escape route in the middle but not usually <laughs> and that was the case here and so we get to that rappel and um josh had told me that the, it might be the case that we would have to rebuild this anchor because nobody had done the canyon yet that year and so um me and a couple other friends went down and we left part of our group up on top of the other one because we knew there might not be rocks down there and so yeah sure enough we had to rebuild the anchor and we didn't have any rocks and they threw one rock down and the first rock they threw down was a pretty big rock but it was a really soft sandstone uh -huh. and so when it landed it just totally like went into gravel like oh it my gosh. so many pieces and so i had to like hey can you find like harder rocks that are <laughs> not sandstone and describe like the types of rocks for them to, to throw down. and then we had this one guy with us my friend frank and he's kind of a bigger dude and he's newer to the canyoneering he's more into like rock um mountain bike riding and stuff like that mm -hmm. and but his wife really loves canyoneering and so um he was gonna go down on this anchor that he just watched us build right mm -hmm. and he was <laughs> so nervous and so he had me and his wife stand on the rocks with <laughs> the um as a backup even though two other people had gone down before him um, just to make sure that it wouldn't move but yeah that's wow. definitely a true thing um yeah dead men anchors they're, they're fun see that but that's an incredible experience to watch your husband <laughs> like you know what i mean be like really overwhelmed in that way yeah, and it's like it's such a loving moment too because i think you know like that you do feel really vulnerable yeah like and it's funny because the bigger you are the more vulnerable yeah. you might feel in that way i suppose huh right yeah <laughs> and so we yeah we had him on a backup and we stood on the anchor and it didn't move it was bomber but yeah it's pretty sometimes you're like what am i doing here like <laughs> what is it <laughs> because questioning your life decisions and then you're like well i'm not in la traffic right now so that's cool yeah, this, is, <laughs> this is nice because <laughs> vis visually speaking like if you just go off of the the intuitive visuals that you see um oftentimes you might freak out right yeah because like, yeah, sure. like, even in climbing like you know you hang off of like dyneema and dyneema is very very thin kind of material but mm -hmm. like, you know, we always say it's like, oh, it's dental floss, you know? Um, yeah. <laughs> and and in, in reality, like your, your mind's just like throwing out delusional fears, you know, the whole time. And you just get to like, uh, just be okay. Yeah. 
just be okay with being okay with it. Embracing the suck, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it works. It's definitely, a, it can be unsafe if you get complacent, but um, it's definitely, it's, you know, an adventure. Yeah. Which is, that's, I mean, kind of why I started the podcast is to get stories of misadventure out there. Mm-hmm. So when people are doing adventures, they're thinking more clearly yeah. and using, they're risking more wisely. <laughs> that's what you find is it seems to be really important. That's why I really love your podcast. And I also like reading about like, you know, accident reports is macabre, masochistic as it might seem, but you, you realize that like, you really don't know what can actually, you know, go wrong. Right. And whatever your, your fears are, those really aren't always to be trusted. Cause like, it's weird. Like, you know, the, uh, the the initial fear that you have is not always rational, like the intuitive fear, but also mm-hmm. if you have complacency, like, you know, you're calm about stuff, that's not always rational either. So you're kind of like oscillating between testing your fears and testing your assumptions in order to keep you safe, right? And I feel like, you know, facing your fear and going with it, like feeling that fear, I think is good because that keeps you on your toes mm-hmm. and that keeps you focused to what you're doing. Like you're going to check your anchor. You're going to check to make sure you're hooked in. Right. You're going to check to make sure your friends are hooked in. Right. Cause you don't want them to fall. You know, um, that fear I think is good. It, and it helps keep you focused. Um, I think if I stop being scared when I get up to repel or like feeling anxiety a little bit, I think that's probably when I'll have to stop because that means I'm complacent and that's probably when I'll make mistakes were you surprised to find that that fear would be your your um would be something that would be a part of your life uh throughout canyoneering because some people would look at somebody who do intense activities that require risk mitigation as somebody who does not have a high fear response but i wouldn't just like what you said like you, you said it really well yeah um yeah, I don't know. I've talked to people about it a lot, you know, and they're like, you're so badass. You're not scared at all. And I'm like, no, like I may just manage it well. But, you know, I do have that initial, you know, I am scared. I do have that like, oh, my God, I could fall at any moment. <laughs> uh, if you, so you're, you've never gotten like ego pangs before you've created this like principle or this like understanding and value of fear um, that you were afraid. Because in climbing, I've I've had that, and like for me though, I've resolved it and I've invited it. It's actually like a friend, right? The, the fear, and, mm-hmm. you know. Right. Sometimes it's uninvited, but I learn to sit with it. But most of the time, I want it to be there because it protects me more often than not. Yeah, yeah, I feel like it's a good thing. Yeah, I was actually at um this place called Horseshoe Bend, mm-hmm. and I um was gonna go take a picture of my feet over the river it's like this Colorado river beautiful spot but it's like a maybe 2,000 foot drop down to the river and so I'm going to put my feet over and I'm like crab crawling to put my feet over so mm-hmm. I can take a picture and I have a friend with me who's not really a hiker which is why we're on this hike and she's like what are you doing like you do 300 foot repels all the time and I'm like I'm not hooked up to any ropes right now. Like I'm scared. (laughs) I'm this close to an edge. I'm going to be cautious. And she was happy to see that because she just thought like, you know, I'm out there 
you know, totally full of all of this stuff. And Aww. so for her to see that was pretty cool. But, that is- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And um, you never get any like uh, negative. Do you ever get any negative self-talk though, revolving the fear or are you pretty, uh, have a pretty good relationship with that part of yourself uh, more my anxiety comes when it's like weather induced or like oh, other yeah. things I've seen I was in a flash flood one time that we talked oh, about it in one of my episodes yeah. we had clients with us and stuff <laughs> and that was on a chance it was supposed to be 20 percent chance of light rain that day mm-hmm. and so I've really been known to either change plans completely or cancel them because of rain mm-hmm. um, a lot more so than also I think I learned from other people's tragedies and so unfortunately I've had some friends die Mm. and get hurt really bad in cannoneering and so I'm always just like the safety Nazi out there yeah so you respect that side of yourself Mm -hmm. it makes sense yeah yeah if I I see people doing stupid shit I just don't go with them anymore mm -hmm. I can't I don't want to be there on that trip you know and then when you were with people in a canyoneering setting, um, what are what are some common things that people feel very exposed or they do feel afraid in? Because there's repelling, um, but is there like any specific kinds of obstacles that are usually pretty um, intense that way? <laughs> yeah. I mean, depending on the canyon, you've got um, some exposed hiking just to get there or to get out of the canyon. Um, so sometimes that can be really challenging. Sometimes you've got, you know, class four, class five climbing to get out or into a canyon. Um, and then sometimes you've got really cold potholes full of water. Oh. Or sometimes the potholes can be empty and you have to climb out of them. And so having that kind of knowledge is really important. Um, sometimes if you're in certain areas where the water is flowing, you'll have to... Um, have knowledge of like hydraulics and things like that, like in Uray and I think Washington has a lot of those. Yeah, yeah Washington. I've like fervently been looking online, like rope wiki and stuff. Like, where's so where's some class B canyons? <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm like, come on, give me some track canyons. But no, they're all wet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but they're beautiful though. <laughs> yeah, Costa Rica has some really pretty class D canyons with warmer water. So that was a nice. Oh, that would be nice. That mm-hmm. wow, would be like a like a lazy river, but very intense. I mean, we still had like three middle wetsuits, but we weren't shivering the whole day. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. Washington's a little more hardy, huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, yeah, you definitely need to know what type of canyon you're getting into and um, the challenges that are involved before you get there. It's, if we just hit the rewind button really hard, what's canyoneering? <laughs> <laughs> so canyoneering is a mix of hiking, climbing, rappelling, swimming, scrambling. I don't know, going Whoa. through a drainage down a canyon. That's wild. And where, where you're at or in like the with the Colorado plateau, right? Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of that are dry canyons. Most of the time. Most of the time. And yeah, we do get a lot of, I mean, a lot of the Zion canyons will get, have the potholes full of water, like Imlay and heaps will usually have water in them. Um, they won't be flowing, but they will have water obstacles in them. And 
that's very unique to the environment that you're at, right? Like the the type of canyons that you find, or mm -hmm. is, is that because of all like the the soft rock, the sandstone, and stuff like that, in relation to the Rockies? Yeah, yeah, just the um, the way the waters just carve through the Navajo sandstone and just carve these spectacular crevices or arteries, I guess. And they like, yeah. and it's a lot of it's like what. I think you mentioned this but it's like hiking with like um with obstacles yes hiking with obstacles so not only do you need ropes to get down certain drops like you'll you'll come to a cliff or whatever and have to repel but sometimes you have rocks that you have to climb over sometimes you have down climbs where you're just um climbing down certain things and then sometimes you're just hiking flat Sometimes you're in rivers, sometimes you're on ridges. Wow. These, Usually you're in drainages. It seems like even more varied terrain than rock climbing in a lot of ways. I think so. That's what more intrigued me about canyoneering than climbing. It's very adventurous and like I like how it for me, I I got into I really I liked hiking. Um and then I found that I liked yeah, you know, I liked running a little more. Um but only trail running because running by itself sucked i just found out it was so confusing like even when you when i get into all these things because i when i've gotten to like running i'm like oh this i've always hated running why would i like this and i realized that oh no you could like move fast enough so you don't have to backpack but you just like right. hike all day and and there's like all <laughs> these little like nuances in there and and that's where my favorite thing about hiking is is when there's obstacles so I can be slow and I can think a lot. Um, mm -hmm. And that's where canyoneering just really hit it for me because it just seems like, you know, you're trying to get from point A to point B. And along the way, you have a variety of, of obstacles that the landscape provides you. Mm -hmm. And then you have to rely on your like your technical ability with um, with rope to descend the vertical stuff with the assistance of, of friends and mm -hmm. then your body to get through like all the other kinds of obstacles. Yeah. That's just, and, and it's like what, kind of what you said is like all the, the physical part where you're using your body is mm -hmm. in like, sh correct me if I'm wrong, shorter spurts throughout the whole thing. Cause if I climbing, I'm doing like this whole vertical thing and I'm really intense in this little like vertical, you know, uh, column. But with you, it's like, you know, move a little bit, do some like challenging physical problem, move challenging physical problem. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you might be stemming for 20 feet, 30 feet, depending on the canyon. Some canyons like four hours, whatever. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh. You know, and then, and then you're, you know, just hiking flat and then you might swim for a little bit and then you have a rappel and, you know, whatever. Oh. Yeah, it changes a lot. And depending on the canyon and the train you're in that changes too so in the, the <laughs> in the area that you're at and like with the the kinds of canyons i know there's a lot but that are available what are like some kinds of styles like not wet or dry but like what kinds of like um obstacles or styles of movement do you find in these kinds of canyons like i know there's stemming but is there other kinds of things yeah, um, the potholes, like I've said, where sometimes they can be either full of water and you're just swimming across them and then, then you can get out easy. 
Mm -hmm. or if they're like at a certain level and you can't reach the bottom mm -hmm. to be able to get out or if they're like no water in them at all Whoa. and then you have to like either use hooks or other certain types of technical devices and ascenders to be able to get out wow um so those can change and then um yeah just scrambling over rocks stemming repelling mm -hmm. um through the scrambling and um, stemming, do you do you assume a certain level of risk within those? I imagine the the scrambling isn't like prolonged over a vertical period, but it can depend on the canyon. Um, there's one like Sandthrax has a pretty hard climb in the middle of it, the crux of it, which is what makes it an X canyon. Oh. And then there are some canyons like in Northwash area where you're stemming high for a long period of time, mm -hmm. and so those also make that a little more challenging because if you slip you're falling like 30 feet in a really narrow slot oh wow um and those can be more scary and then also like shenanigans um the lower the very end section like the lower section is really really narrow mm -hmm. so if you're a certain like width like oh yeah like, no, no. My helmet couldn't fit through one way. My butt actually got stuck and I had to have <laughs> friends like lift me up and like maneuver me over like oh. 20 feet. But we had friends with us on that hike that were, you know, at the higher weight section. And mm -hmm. so they were stemming above us. And he said that that presented a totally different challenge than being low because, you know, if he did fall, he's not going to make it to the bottom mm -hmm. of the canyon. He's just going to be stuck in there somewhere. Oh. And then, you know, search and rescue is going to have to come and, or we're going to have to like try to hoist him out somehow. Mm -hmm. And so that can be um, definitely a challenge and more, yeah, more dangerous. Um, so you definitely want to know, especially with those skinny canyons, what you're getting into and what your body's capable of, because they are physically demanding and you get tired really easy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so if you don't have the strength to stem like that for four hours, um, don't get in there yeah those are sure. one of those things where if you commit to there's a certain point to where there's like no mm -hmm. point of return on committing right yeah you can't return you're just gonna have to like rest and get your energy until you can and then there's also some you know where it requires certain pothole decisions and if you don't know how to get out of those potholes you're going to be stuck well, like what kind of pothole decisions if you could um so some of them like there's neon if the pothole is at a certain level like if it's full of water, like when I went through, it's super easy. So mm -hmm. you just like swim across and you can get out. But if it's at a medium level, um, if it's empty, you can do like a partner boost. So you can stand on somebody's shoulder and get out and then you can lower rope and everyone else can ascend. Oh, cool. Um, but if it's kind of a mid-level, you can't do that. And so you have to figure out a way where you have to like do a floating like mount out of the thing but you can't really like reach the lip from the level. Um, so in those kind of certain circumstances, you can actually like your backpacks float. Mm -hmm. And so you can stand on two backpacks and that can kind of get you high enough <laughs> to be able to like beach well out of the pothole. Um, so there's certain techniques and there's classes that you can take from certain, um, some people mm -hmm. in the area, some of the outfitters so that you have the skills before you get there by yourself. How far out or do you think you are at that point in terms of hours um, when you're at that pothole in the Neon Canyon? Oh, like, I mean, 
you're at least six hours into the day. Whoa. Usually people will usually people do neon as a backpack trip and they'll combine it with a couple others because the hike into there is at least three-ish hours. Mm-hmm. And then um, but once you get there, you're like at the Escalante River and there's a couple other canyons yeah. you can do. So people will normally combine it. But yeah, I mean that's definitely a point to consider because it makes search and rescue like a lot more difficult when you're that far out there. Yeah. And that's, where, <laughs> and that's where it's like these are one of some of the very rare things that we have in our in our life where when you commit to them you like you really do you know you commit to them and yeah the consequences are are very real yep you know and even very with real. the search and rescue like um i'm often no i'm not surprised but um they do their best too but it's like a long time to get help with search and rescue yeah. Yeah, they can't get there in an hour or two. Sometimes it takes several hours. And sometimes if you have internal bleeding, you don't have that long. Mm -hmm. Which is sad, but it's realistic. (laughs) Do do you have, um, is there a lot of different, or would you often have yourself um, in scenarios where you're using like the assistance of a partner in order to get through obstacles? Like you said, the partner lifts. I saw some things where people like, will lower people down mm-hmm. little sections is there is there like is that something you rarely do or do you find yourself doing that quite often um i mean it depends on the canyon for depends sure the, but yeah. it, it happens often oh wow that's really cool then yeah and there's a lot of times too where like um i'll usually be like it's called the meat anchor <laughs> and <laughs> and it'll usually be like on shorter repels or whatever but um it'll be something like I can down climb, but the other people don't feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. And so I'll just hook the harness to me in a way. And then I like put myself in an area where like, I'm not going to get pulled off of the cliff. Yeah. And then they just basically repel off of me. And then I down climb down after. I've scared some people um, inadvertently on accident, but I was completely (laughs) safe um i was uh repelling or i was belaying them right from the from the top and i just like led a pitch in the alpine and it was just super easy climbing low fifth class and i like there's a, a a notch in between these huge boulders that are as tall as me and i just climb up and over the boulders and then i sit and the rope's running straight through the notch and i just do a hip belay yeah and, and I'm hip belaying them up and we're in the Alpine ATCs, all these things. And they're like, what are you doing? I'm not connected to anything. And I'm like, listen, if you were to, I can't get sucked through the notch in the rock. You're completely fine. Like, and that's where I go back to like, you learn that there's a, especially as, as like um, the, the guy that you work with, right. As an engineer. Um, and if you understand like physics, right. This is so empowering for me from like a, a kid who hated science and didn't give a shit about physics. And now it's like <laughs> physics are probably yeah. one of the most important things that I could learn. Because um, if you understand at least like physics, like there's yeah. you, you can understand objective reality and you can like mitigate risk objectively, <laughs> Yep, <laughs> which is really gratifying. With the sand trap too, I mean, that's basically a tarp full of sand that you're repelling off of, <laughs> but the way that you put it, like it's physics and it doesn't move. Mm-hmm. And you usually have a backup person when the first person goes. 
So if it does move, you put more sand in it. And then the next person goes. And if it moves, you put more sand in it. <laughs> but usually that doesn't happen because of the way that you angle it and where you put them. And then you're able to just pull everything down with you. The tarp empties all of its sand and there's nothing left in the canyon. It's really cool. It's just, and I just think that, see, like, like 100%. My the nerdiest like dad me comes out where it's like okay science was boring for me in school for whatever reason but you like get me really scared and nervous and you're like this is gonna work and i'm like no it's not that does not look like it's gonna work the <laughs> only thing that's gonna get you through it is experiencing it and then learning that there's objective reality and there's a way to discern what is true and what's not and this is the practice because you're not gonna die like yeah but and again, we go out and practice this stuff and, you know, do it a few times before we like go out in the field and, you know, or take classes to learn how to do it. But um, I've watched people like go down on the sand trap and then pull it afterwards. And it's just really cool to see like from the top, all of the sand deploy and like everything go flawlessly. I've never really seen new. that before. I got to I'm going to have to check out a video of that now. Yeah. I wonder if we put one online. Oh, We'll have to. I'm going to have a practice day soon, so we'll do one. What percentage of your, um, I guess, of your free time, right, that you spend canyoning and all these other things, what percentage of that time is spent, like, practicing skills and, and, and different tactics, like rope work and stuff? Um, so I started this thing with my friends. We call it um, Skills Day or Not Night, mm -hmm. and it was definitely in the winter times in Kanab, you know, you get like socially weird and the days are short and you just want to, you know, hang out with your friends and stuff. And you're not out canyoneering because it's too cold and stuff. And so we had, um, we would have people over once a month, usually in the wintertime, just to practice knots and just keep fresh on skills. And then um, I try to do at least three times a year, I try to do a skills day where we go out and um, to a cliff and actually practice those kinds of things. And like one day we might do um, the sand traps, one day we might do potholes, one day we, and we always practice like ascending and passing knots. And I always just let all my friends know like, hey, we're doing it this day. Um, and it's usually a pretty, pretty good thing. We have a potluck after. We didn't do it um, in 2020. Actually, we had one in 2020 right before COVID close everything down oh, but i'm thinking about having another one here coming up soon because i think we really need it yeah that's pretty fun is it is it like one of your one of your favorite ways to socialize too yeah and that yeah for sure do do you spend this might be a personal question and it's okay if you don't want to talk about it but like how much of your time do you spend socializing or do you spend canyoneering as your form of socializing i try to spend most of my socializing time canyoneering yeah i do spend a lot of time yeah, canyoneering. I like that. yeah i'm either like canyoneering sometimes hiking or with my grandkids so. that's as like that's you know growing up and stuff like that i just don't i'd kick the dirt and like work um come home tired like that's like you know weekend comes you relax get ready do it all over again and like hanging out yeah. with friends i was always like I don't like not to like in a downer way and I appreciate this now because I spend so much of my time doing and it's nice to not and to spend time relaxing with friends but like when you didn't when you don't have this like passion or this thing that everything seems to revolve around um 
I just didn't, it's hard for me to spend time with people like that. Like not people like that, but people in that way where we're like, we're either like climbing or going for a run or, you know, adventuring, yeah. hiking and like, and that's become my life to the point to where like, if it were my way, if my family were into, we're, we're doing some of the stuff we might be doing like, you know, some climbing and like, oh wait, skiing on Christmas, right? Climbing for Fourth of July, which I've been trying to rope them into that. And it's like, well, right. I was like, oh, I, I check in with my girlfriend a lot. I'm like, you know, our our dates are always rock climbing and running and then and hiking. <laughs> You're all right with that, right? And it's because I've never had relationships that were not just an intimate relationship, but a relationship with friends and family that revolved around mutual interests. And that's been a very different point in my life in the last like five years to where if I'm going to go hang out with a buddy who's like really into martial arts, like we hang out consistently to improve our martial arts. But like, I really connect with that person when, when I'm doing that. And it's like, right, you know, and when you want to like um, party really hard, because I think about this when I was a kid and I remember adults used to party like really hard sometimes. And that wasn't like, always the most comfortable thing as a kid and as an adult I think about that a lot because like my late nights are like alpine starts to go climbing and like all of these things same thing you know sometimes I'm late which I feel bad and I try to not do that because I'm <laughs> same yeah. thing too as maybe a dad who stays out a little too long and I'm like trying to reconcile all those things but um, I just love having these opportunities to connect with people like that and, and in that in that way, you know, and in right. a positive way that like helps me and hopefully might make me a better father and a better person and all that other stuff. A little more. Right. I mean, I think that he'll see what you're doing and, you know, he'll see you're not at the bars, you know, bars, yeah. you're not hanging out, you're doing things and you invite him along with you and he'll get into mm -hmm. it. Like it took my daughter years, but um, she loves the outdoors now. Yeah. It's like sure. <laughs> my son, it becomes a mixed relationship with it, but it's often that the type two fun with him. Cause I've even had where I take him out. He's like, I don't want to go. I want to stay home. And I'm like, Oh, I feel a little bad about this. And then afterwards he's like telling his teachers like, Oh yeah, we got to go in the, you know, the lava, the lava tubes and see all the lava flows and all these other things. And like, I've even caught, like he was drawing one day and I'm like, what are you drawing on your water bottle? He's like, Oh, I'm drawing mountains on it. And I'm like, why are you doing that? He's like, Oh, don't you know? And I'm like, what? They're my, my favorite. And he even like came home one day and he's oh, like, had awesome. to write what courage was. And he drew Mount St. Helens. And then it's him and his dad. And he's like, courage is my, or me getting to the top with my dad or something like that. And I was like, Oh, that's really cool, man. That is awesome. Yeah. And those are going to be things like I look back at memories with my dad grown up, you know, and they're my favorite like i love that he exposed me to the outdoors so young so, That's so cool you can't go wrong with that i don't think yeah. well thanks for the reassurance I, I really do appreciate that it's hard sometimes <laughs> when you're looking from the other you know not in hindsight but as they grow older you know it's a little easier yeah it gets hard when they're teenagers but then they have grandkids and that's the best i'm telling you and you might not be able to picture right now but 
Oh, they were so awesome. I watch how my son and my mom interact, and I'm just so like, oh, I can't wait. I can't. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna because like especially with me because I do crazy like. I'll take them climbing and stuff. I'll get is their dad scared. Yeah, that's me. Like, I can't wait to get my grandkids out there. Where can people learn more about you? Um, So mostly on Facebook. It's Cheryl's Rocks Jocelyn on Facebook or the Canyons Are Calling podcast. And where can they check out your podcast? Um, Pretty much anywhere the podcasts can be played, I think. If I'm not on there, they can email me at the canyons are calling at gmail.com and let me know so that I can get on to there because right. I'm still pretty new at it and I'm not sure that I'm everywhere. <laughs> and yeah, I'm really enjoying this podcast and it is so cool. Yeah, I've got some exciting episodes coming up. So yeah, I can't saying. wait for for Scott Sweeney. That's gonna so much be great. Yeah. Oh, I think I might finish it tomorrow. So. Oh, really? Okay, cool. Well, I'll be looking forward to it. Thank you so much, Cheryl. You're welcome. Have a great night. All right. Yeah, you too. Bye. Woo! Thank you guys for listening to this episode of the podcast. Cheryl's is a fascinating woman with um, an interesting story, especially coming out, you know, coming from um, having like an abusive relationship with drugs and emerging from that and eventually finding herself immersed in this, you know, life of canyoning or canyoneering, you know, solving problems, moving through obstacles out in the wilds of Southern and central Utah. And I think it's beautiful. You know, she's really figuring herself out and, as a means of play. And I think play is really important. You know, there's a lot of lessons in our own lives that are waiting for us to be discovered. And I think it's, you know, uniquely your own shit to figure out. Right. Um, but playing and putting yourself out there, making yourself vulnerable or challenging yourself, um, in whatever way is meaningful or inspiring to you is, you know, a reliable way for me to be able to get those like lessons and joy and and stretch my highs and lows to really exciting levels. So it's amazing to be able to connect with someone else who found like another activity, another that is a reason to explore these beautiful places and uh, push yourself and relax and enjoy being with other people. The whole combination. Um, if you want to learn more about Cheryl's, you can find her on um, Instagram, the Canyons Are Calling, and on all podcasting platforms. Check out her awesome podcast, The Canyons Are Calling, um, on Spotify and all podcasting platforms. You could also find links to all of that and do um, some videos of some of the canyons she mentioned on my website, becominghumanpodcast.com. Um, or you can find them in the show notes. If you'd like to support my podcast, you can head over to becominghumanpodcast.com, leave a comment. Uh, you can rate me or rate the podcast. On, <laughs> it's only fans. <laughs> you can rate the podcast on uh, iTunes. It really helps out. Uh, and I'm going to play you out with a song by Aesop Rock and Homeboy Sandman called Ask Anyone. It's a 
beautiful tribute to MF Doom. And if you guys don't know who MF Doom is, it's worth checking out. He's just, he was an excellent hip hop artist. Uh, he passed away uh, recently, but he's got a beautiful body of work. Anyways, without any further ado, here's Aesop Rock and Homeboy Sandman. Enjoy your spring, y'all. I took it to the head and heart. You were back as metal face and threatening my pearl white Acura from the second bar. Barfing up a master class of charismatic disrespect and trash talk. Mask on mac and cheese Timberlands. Sold the first apple seed CDs at your brownie show while you were saying something up a member like the Alamo. I was yelling every word and never late. And when you finally played, hey, I felt the venue levitate. Ask anyone. L out of upstate. Come to learn a Sony phase one of the floodgates. Doomsday glue and true grit to the baseline and made himself a hero and a villain at the same time. Back in 94, you had that line about the Nikes on the wire. I'd always see these Nikes on the wire when I was driving through a neighborhood. Somebody said you stayed in. Convinced I'd found the actual inspiration. For the record, I was not even close to the right neighborhood. Even when the heart is pure, the brain is mush. Thank you for the stories and the fuck you to the normies. Bruin said we lost our Jordan. I would sprinkle in some Voorhees in a great breeze. I have this memory of me and you rapping me grinder to each other at a BBQ and BK. Got the same memory with a couple other people too. Trading doom lines, that's what people do. You were always kind of me in person. I tried to play it cool, but I was always kind of nervous. 30 summers of guiding the muddy waters to the man with many names. I hope you're somewhere with your brother, yeah. Super Villano, Elano, chopping records that my parents listen to. Doom was on a mission to remind you that the magic is what matters. But where'd he find that banner? Where'd he find them patterns? He ain't had no manners. My favorite villain is the drop on Victor Vaughn. But every time I hit a great day intro, I'ma sing along and catch me sleeping on the GMOs. Them lessons on point. We share a brother and carry from the question mark joint. Super villain in the function and his peoples never fall. Thanks for introducing us to John Robinson and Star and the era full of rarefied jewels and making use of airtime for making bad headlines cool. Y'all, being crazy taste guts. Masa Alizars had a rep for being nuts. Extra special words and a special herb still lingers. My pantheon is burdened mingus, prints and metal fingers. Larger than life, he had his own Nikes. I'm a clear weather brand dude, but dag don't. Mm, food was the anagram. First put me on, I proceed to put on anyone that was family. And every particle, genuine article. Okay, you stiffed a few promoters who thought they booked a man under the mask, but they could never tell for certain. Walking the walk, wild talking in third person. He wore a mask so the charge won't grab. On a rooftop with a large stone slab. Seen where the industry was going and had to go, Nads, to go, Nad. Thanks. A bar is not a measure. A music doom is doing this, a unit of buried treasure. No one ever done it better, so I'ma keep my computer on caps lock forever. Long live. Okay, well, there you have it. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Becoming Human podcast on the Canyons Are Calling podcast. Um, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Will and I. Um, 
So if you like this show, please like it, share it with your friends. I feel that canyoneering is always better done with a team. Um, If you could write a review on Apple Podcasts, that helps me get found by people in that community. So that would be really awesome. Um, The more reviews and ratings that I get, the more encouragement I get to just do more content. So it's pretty exciting. Keeps me going. Even just stars, you know. (laughs) Um, Anywho, let me know if you like this show. You can email me at thecanyonsarecalling at gmail.com. You can join us on our Facebook group page, The Canyons Are Calling. I'm also on Instagram, although I don't really post there very often, but it's Canyons Are Calling on Instagram. I'll have links to all of those in the show notes. If you're enjoying this awesome still drums in the background, that's Z the Handpan Man. You can find him on Spotify. I've got a link to him in the show notes. Actually, I have his website, um, zthehandpanman.com. And then our other intro music is by Tig Booth. There's a link to him as well. If you want to learn more about canyoneering, canyoneering gear, or read about Tom's latest raves, you can find that on canyoneeringusa.com. There's a link to that in the show notes, too. Shout out to me at work. Anyway, canyons are calling now. Gotta go.